Hello, everyone. You are listening to Solving for X, a podcast that brings government's top thinkers and innovators together to reimagine how the federal workforce works. I believe we become what we practice. And if our nation's employees have the best work experiences, our public customers will have the best experiences too. We're on a journey to bridge digital and workforce transformation and how that experience or X will impact government services, careers, and more. Welcome to the future of work. What does X mean to you? Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Nina Bianchi, joined as always by my co-host, Chris Christ. We're super excited about today's topic. It is indeed one of my most favorite, and it brings us joy to hold space for this. So Chris, hi, what's up? What's on the agenda today? Hey, Nina, good to be back once again. So, you know, for today, uh, we, we, we talked a lot about, you know, the employee experience, customer experience, that this whole thing throughout the whole podcast, and a big part of that is learning. We talk about learning organizations. What does that mean? It's actually something I dug into when it comes to my studies as well. So who we have today is highly relevant to that conversation. And uh, it's Maticia Montgomery. She is the Chief Learning Officer at the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development. So yeah, a lot of excitement. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of conversation around that uh, very specific topic. But I'm going to go ahead and kick it off. Maticia, I'm going to ask you a question directly as I ask everyone else as we begin this uh, conversation. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about the future of work. So if you had a crystal ball, what do you think the future holds for government jobs when it comes to digital and workforce transformation? Oh, awesome. Uh, I love the question. And I, I, I love this podcast. And I love both of you for having me. So thank you so much for, for letting me join you. Um, so I think, I wish I had a crystal ball for every day. Uh, that would help me in so many ways. But in, in looking at the future of work and, and really thinking about this question of you know, customer experience and employee experience, it's, it's about how us, us really tearing down the way it's been and changing it for the future. And, and what does that look like? And, and the acceptance that it's gotta be different. Um, I think with... I don't want to scare anybody because I do think that there are skill sets and, and things that we can lean on that have, have served us well in the past that we want to carry forward into the future. It doesn't have to completely, you know, wipe the slate clean and start over. But um, until we accept that it is going to be different and uh, embrace that mindset, embrace that change and start building plans and strategies around that, that new, whatever that is, then I think it's going to make it harder and it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to helping define that uh, for folks and helping people sort of peel back the onion on it and, and, and start to define it for themselves. And I think a big piece of this is, you know, all, is, all things digital, just, you know, as far as transformation goes and, and, um, and really seeing folks embrace that change at every level uh, especially at the top levels of organizations, because it'll make it easier for, for those uh, lower in the organization to do as well. Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, again, we, we've seen a lot of this uh, throughout the podcast, but starting from the top and having an influence, you know, with our, our top leaders. And so how do you get them, let's just say, how do you get them to 
embrace change? How do you get them to not only embrace the change, but then also have a plan for their teams, for their employees, right? So can you maybe provide some examples uh, of, of how that can happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I got a couple of thoughts in mind. Um, one, you know, we talk a lot about employee experience, and I think there's a subfactor to that. I think it's leader experience. And if we really embrace oh, this idea of leader experience being something we're focused on, how, how they impact the employee experience is going to sort of lend itself a little bit more. Um, and I think um, it, it doesn't mean, oh, let's only focus on leaders first and foremost, and then hopefully it'll just sort of filter out. No, right. you've got to continue focusing on employees too. But I think until you accept that the leader experience is different from the employee experience and that they are looking for something different and helping them understand that impact, it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult. I also think when it comes to talking to leaders about this change that um, it can be very overwhelming. Um, like everything's changed all the time, especially in the government, right? right? Um, and so it's just more of the same if you just say, oh, we gotta go through change. So it's really instead about like sitting back and just letting the change happen and hopefully you know, coming out unscathed on the other side, it's like, how do we break that change down into manageable pieces? And um, how can you how can you sort of take it that elephant one bite at a time? And I think that helps leaders and their teams sort of work through the change process a little bit better. Matisha, I want to pull a little thread a little further. So I was an executive at the FDA, and at the time, my principal deputy commissioner, Dr. Amy Abernathy, she's like, Nina, I need you to come to the FDA. We need help. We need to learn how to learn again. And, you know, I think what you're sharing about leadership learning and the leadership experience, you know, what's the current state of learning? Like, how do you see it as it stands today? Yeah, um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for learning uh, globally. <laughs> um, what, but I am fearful as well. I think what I'm currently seeing is, is a little scary in that um, there's not enough time hmm. and, and we, you can't always be learning and in like in a formal way and then somehow expect that it's just going to like emit off of you <laughs> in every interaction. You, you have to be very purposeful and thoughtful and there needs to be an infrastructure to support you. So if you go and you do learn something formal and you bring back that excitement and energy and knowledge and new skill and you have no way of applying it, and you have no accountability mechanism yes. to make sure you keep applying it because new is not easy, right? The way you've been doing it is what you'll always naturally go back to. So if that infrastructure is not there to support you, if your chain of command is not there to support you, to help you live and breathe that new skill, that new knowledge, uh, if there isn't that, that status to help you sort of apply it and practice it, get the feedback loop on it, try again, you know, all the things that we know and understand about the learning method, then it's not going to change. You're not going to change. And then your organization is not going to change. And I think, you know, I'm, I, I get worried because, you know, that's my title, chief learning officer, <laughs> but I do not prescribe to the belief that training is the solution to everything. 
And, and I feel like there's, everyone's very quick to say, oh, we need a training to solve for X. <laughs> that was not meant to be a pun on your No, concept. that was great. <laughs> well, the leadership piece, and I'm, I'm wondering what Chris's thought is here too. I work with a lot of top leaders in government and I did when I was in government and I do currently and folks express this pain. And these are folks that are more leaning, always learning leaders where they're learning new mindsets, they're learning new practice in project-based or immersive scenarios, and they want to bring it back and they're not supported. There's no space. There's no time. Yeah. How, like, how do you bring new learning into work? Let's begin with you as, you know, how do you practice this? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, I give my space to, myself space to fail. Um, I know that I'm not going to go and learn something and then be 100% able to do it the next day, the next month, the next week, the next year, whatever you want to put in there. I give myself the safe space to fail and say, okay, hold on, I missed an opportunity. And, um, and so the way I'm able to do that and identify those opportunities where I failed to implement the change that I had gone and, and said was important and got training on or, or focused on is through self-reflection, self-awareness, right? I think self-awareness, self-management, and self-reflection is critical to everyone at every level because that is how we are always learning. Um, and, and so I say, okay, look, in that opportunity I, I missed, but now I've noted it. And that means I'm more likely the next time something similar comes around to be ready. You know, because it is just you're moving through your day so quickly and all of the things that come flying at you constantly. And so your natural tendency, the way you have always done it, is where you are. Hmm. I think that being ready for that new state, being ready for that particular issue when it arises, is how you prepare yourself for the change. Yeah, you know, okay, right there. Yeah, that's, that's where you got me, the being ready. Right. So, so, you know, and I, both, so I'm actually a reservist as well uh, on the medical side of the house and I'm actually uh, overseeing uh, what's called medical readiness. It's a, it's a, it's an entire flight. Um, and that's, that's our whole mission is to be ready and to ensure that people are ready and trained. But like you said, it's not just about ensuring we have formal training in place. It's to ensure that we have a culture an organization that is open to, okay, hey, you went to, for example, we go on annual tour wherever in the world, right? And then we, we learn things when we're there. We're like, oh, we should, you take care of patients like this, or you implement technology like that. And then we come back to our unit and we're so open to it. Or they, well, let's incorporate that. Or let's see if maybe this small department can handle that. If that small department works, let's expand beyond there, right? And so I you talk about being ready. And so the same thing goes for implementing, like we talk about digital modernization and anything digital, right? Implementing anything new like that is important. In our organization, uh, we do the same thing where we're trying to implement new, new technology, but we need a an environment where we can do that. And then there have been so many situations where uh, maybe months go by and we say, hey, has anyone done this? And we say, actually, we have in this environment. And say, okay, well, let's try to get this going in a live environment, right? So I'm, I'm with you, Matisha, on that. I think that um, allowing people to dig in and be quote unquote ready, just, just having that environment where they can train and get experience and fail, like you mentioned, is so important. And so how do you think, so forgive me all of that, I'm very passionate about that, yeah, but all of that, that to get great. to this, Patricia, is, is how do you think then that an organization that looks like that, their employee experience, 
right? How they feel when they get up and they go to the environment. How do you think that impacts the employees in comparison to an organization where maybe they just don't have those same opportunities? Does that make sense? It does. It makes tons of sense. Well, every, like all of what you said, yes, I love it. Because what I heard and what you said were themes of collaboration, peer learning, and connection. And those are, those are part of any good, strong learning culture, right? If, if you feel like you're off on an island, then no, you're not going to feel supported to do things differently, to embrace a change, to help an organization transform. If you think that you've got to be the only one doing it, you're not going to do all of, of those things. That's exhausting. And so, right. so, so, right. so that culture that supports what you, that example, you brilliant example that you just gave, but that that's exactly what we need to see in organizations at every level. And I think this is very important. Like we look at things very globally across an organization, but it, it can, it can be happening in pockets and not happening in the majority, or it can happen at very at the lowest levels of an organization, but it's not rising up to the top, right? And so you end up with, um, in any organization, you end up with this, oh, you know, over there, they're doing something cool, like over there across the, across the way. And you, and you, you know, the, you hear that, those stories being told. And what we need is leaders to pull on those threads. Oh, I hear, so let me go over here. Let me make that connection. Let me see what they're doing. How can I bring that to my organization? How can I spread that out across the organization? Not in like a, a thin way, like a like peanut butter on a piece of bread, but like, how can I give it legs, help it grow? And, um, and sometimes that's how the best things start is they started in one small place and it, they, it started working. You, you got attention toward it. It, it grew something beautiful and they said oh we must do more of that and so i'd yeah. say yeah. telling the story is a big piece of this this podcast is a big, big piece of this right helping to tell the stories of the beautiful things that are happening so that those other folks find that awareness and that others other folks who are doing something well can make those connections too and how do you I, think those employees, think employees feel, feel in that situation, in that situation? When they're, when they're identified as doing something or when they're not. (laughs) (laughs) Identified as doing something, you know? Yes. So I think what brings people to government, especially is that purpose and that impact. And when they get identified as having, even if it's not direct to the mission, but it is having an impact inside their organization, which makes it easier to have that impact in the mission. That is, it's, it's everything that, all of us in government are here for. But even on the industry side, it's value. It's you having value as an individual in a larger ecosystem. And I think that's what drives people away from organizations oftentimes is that this, you know, we, we tell this story a lot of, oh, you know, you could get hit by a bus today and they replace you tomorrow. You know, it's, you're just a cog in the machine. And Nobody wants to be a cog in the machine. All, all of us, now whether we're, we're part of industry on the private sector side, if we're in the government, if we're in a nonprofit, it doesn't matter. We all want to have a purpose. 
that's more than just keeping the machine running. Our purpose needs to address something bigger than ourselves. And I, as soon as they hear that, they have value. I want to uh, explore a little bit this value and purpose. And I know that we're all, everyone listening today, we're all familiar with the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. A common challenge that shows up in these annual survey results is morale, employee morale. So I'm wondering what role, Matisha, do you think morale plays in this equation here of access to learning, space for learning? Yeah. So I think learning has a huge impact on employee satisfaction, overall morale of the organization, the health of the culture. Um, and But I also think that um, while there's some really good things that we're able to identify from FEVs or other similarly situated surveys, there are also some flaws that we, we, should, we should really accept in that when we take those results. You know, it's a point in time. And so if you've recently been wronged, you're gonna remember that more when you complete that survey than right. you know, the, the global idea of your experience. Um, but that's why it's important that, that agencies don't just focus on the FEBS. FEBS is so critical. And I wanna encourage other federal employees out there, complete your FEBS when it comes. Um, but because it is a voice and people do pay attention to it, but there should, you should be getting a voice throughout the year and maybe on different topics and not the entire ecosystem of, of things that might apply to your uh, quote unquote satisfaction with the organization. But I do think that learning has a huge role to play here. And a, a learning culture or an organization that appreciates and provides space for learning um, and understands that uh, failure is an opportunity to learn as well. You know, those organizations, I think, fare well, much, much better in the FEVs than organizations that do not. I think that um, employees are likely more satisfied when they're in a culture that embraces learning and development, that understands that that ongoing growth in your in in your role as an employee, as a person, as a human, is is important for us to focus on. Um, not just did you learn your Excel today? You know, it was okay, you need to have, you know, more advanced Excel skills, but also, you know, you need to learn how to balance your time so you can get the most out of your time while you're working and the most out of your time when you're not working. And so we're giving you the tools to help you do that too. And, and so I think learning time management versus doing a compliance security training, which of course, so cybersecurity, critical. so critical, right? We need to do that. However, I think a lot of employees associate any kind of learning with that kind of compliance, not something that's really going to improve my quality of life or work experience, you know? Absolutely. I, I think and in organizations that focus only or mostly on compliance-driven training, that is, or I, I can even see it where uh, we have employees at HUD, for example, who have been in organizations where it was only compliance-driven training that they had access to. And so it's like to come in, they make this assumption that that's the norm. That's how it is. 
And it, it doesn't have to be that way. And so they don't even go seeking out what is out there because they think all that's out there is this mandatory training suite that I've got to complete. Um, and, and so as learning organizations, we have to do an even better job of marketing all of these things to employees and not just, hey, this is available, but this is why it's available. This is why you should prioritize it. And, and again, that comes back to, it can't just be the employee saying, I want to sign up for the training. It needs to be coming from the leadership as well. They need to see leaders role modeling that behavior, and they need to hear from their leaders. I want you to, to identify the right training for you. And that may be in your role. That may be for the role that you seek in the future. That may be for you as a person. Matisha, I'm wondering, you know, Chris and I have had conversations about this, but when you look in the media, you look in the press and you look at White House executive orders or directives coming, you know, there's a lot of demand and pressure on the federal employee, no matter where they sit, to improve customer experience, make things better for a public customer, which we're, we're all here to serve. That's true. But what was striking to me to realize that this pressure is coming down, but a lot of time employees don't know where to begin or know where to start. And there's a big disconnect. Is that something that you've noticed? And if so, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I think it is something I've noticed. Um, I, I, and I think this again, sort of helps drive that idea of compliance versus opportunity. Um, it's, oh, I have to do versus this would be nice. And I, I think it's a, it's a value add. Um, and so it's all about the messaging. And, and so if it looks like, well, you know, EO, this executive order came down, this is the high priority for the administration. That, that, might be, that might be true and important to note, but it can't be the, the end all be all of the messaging we give folks. It needs to be like, yes, this is the fact, but this is, it came about because it's actually really critical. And here's how it impacts your work or the work that you support or the work that you enable or the impact that we have in the community. And, you know, to be honest, um, I think this whole transformation, you know, moving more digital, moving more virtual, you know, sort of the work environment we're in, help speed up that need for like thinking about the end user, thinking about the customer, thinking about the employee, but we weren't ready for it. And so it's a reactionary mechanism that we're in right now. Um, And nobody knows how to navigate that. And so it's almost like, how can we slow this down a bit and then break that up so that it's a bit more uh, appealing to people. You know, Mentisha, there's something that you mentioned toward the very beginning of this conversation about time, right? And 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 uh, the the lack of it, I suppose, or the worry about time. And you know, it kind of, I, maybe a lot of people can relate to this, but I'll just I think of it as uh, kind of like a envision like a pie chart, okay? And you have a, a section where okay, I'm dedicating this much time towards my job right? Every single week, 40, 50, whatever hours that may be. Then in my case, okay, a little bit of time towards military, a little bit of time towards, you know, continuing college, college education. I got to get health and fitness in there, right? And then I got to get my family, you know, wife and kids and whatever else, you know, and then, and then whatever personal time you have left to do what you want to do. And so you think about that pie chart and how much of it 
uh, you're, you're already using when it comes to your, your weekly routine. And so how do you ensure that that learning that you talk about, you know, learning new things, um, you know, naturally, how does that naturally occur in an organization so that it doesn't feel like the employees have to spend their own personal time in order to figure that out? That's a really fantastic point. Um, and I, I think it's different for everybody. Okay. You know, I, I wouldn't want to say, well, here's what Matisha does, because that is just what works for Matisha. But um, I think it's important to have that plan. Do that self-reflection. The pie chart doesn't get bigger, right? It, it is finite. Right. And so um, you have to decide what, what is an appropriate amount for you. But you also can, can get creative too. So um, I guess when I think about how you can be creative is, is really shifting the idea of, of training only being formal. Um, we, we, I'm learning as I have this conversation with you guys. Right. I hope somebody's learning from this conversation too. <laughs> um, but you know, there's opportunity in every engagement to learn. And so it's always be learning. Um, instead of just interacting and moving through that meeting and trying to get to the end of it before you move to the next one. What can you seek out and learn from your peers and your, and your fellow teammates, et cetera, as you engage with them? Take some time and create some space in those meetings for, for peer learning. Peer learning is the best learning you're going to get. And so having those interactions that might be just hearing people talk about and, and communicate their thoughts or opinions or perspectives or history or experiences on that topic can be so valuable. Um, even that can, I mean, that's really important for new employees, especially as we think about knowledge management and people exiting the workforce uh, through retirements and helping those that are coming in behind them understand that perspective. But coaching and mentoring are also fabulous uh, opportunities that I think you know, they don't have, you don't have to have a conversation with a coach every day or your mentor every day, but build the, build that relationship and, and have multiples if necessary on different topics so that, you know, you're going to regularly engage with, with someone who is a mentor to you on X. And then that way, when you engage with them, you can really just learn, soak it up. Um, if you, if you like reading, then, you know, have your reading list, you know, that it, you've got on, on the side. And when you say, okay, you know, I'm going to take some time for myself to read. And this is going to be a reading opportunity that helps better me in some way on whatever topic it may be. If you're not a reader, that's okay. You're, you're, not, you're not alone. Watch a TED talk, uh, you know, find, find something that is going to fulfill you in different ways, fit them in where you can. Block time on your calendar to do it if you can't find it any other time. That's okay. That's work time too, folks. You're allowed to have a meeting on your own calendar with yourself just to watch a TED Talk or just to read um, and, you know, prioritize it. I want to highlight that, Matisha. I practice that daily. And I'll also, uh, if you're not a reader and a listener, listen to other episodes of this podcast as part of your learning and development and self sure. and self-love at the workplace. Um, Matisha, you mentioned retirement. I do want to get your thoughts on, you know, there's a retirement tsunami, this, this conversation, we hear it in the news. I don't know how you feel about it, but we, 
and the statistics vary anywhere from 30 to almost 50% of the federal workforce is eligible for retirement in 2023. What does that mean for the future of the workforce and who's going to be looking for jobs? Um, yeah, it's funny because I've been in government for a while and we've been talking about the retirement tsunami since I got in government and um, it never really came to fruition uh, when when they thought it was going to. And it's it is because you know, people are working longer. They we're also living longer and, and that creates that opportunity. Um, and people do like their jobs. They like the impact that they have at work. And when they're able to do that, they wanna continue doing that. And we should embrace that. But either way, you're right. We do have a significant portion, especially in the federal government of our workforce who is retirement eligible today. And they could just walk out the door if they wanted to. Um, and we, we need to be prepared and we need to do a much better job at knowledge management than we have done up to this point. Um, but I do think we also get an opportunity uh, and that, that happens with, with any kind of attrition, right? Even if someone chooses to leave our agency to go to another agency or to go to the private sector, that's an opportunity for us to say, how do we wanna utilize that position? Do we want to keep it exactly the same and do the same thing we've always done with it? Or do we want to shift and change? Do we want to recruit a different set of skills than what we had in that position before? Um, it, it's an opportunity to bring in skills that the organization hasn't seen or hasn't had enough of. And I think that that's really the case that we're seeing with you know many of the millennials and of course, Gen Y coming in. So it's, I think it's a, it's an opportunity to say, we're talking about a full transformation of our workforce and of how we work and where we work and why we work and all of those other things. And the new people coming into those roles are going to help us do exactly that. You know, so that's what Nina brought up there is something that we've touched on quite a bit throughout this podcast. And, and that's, I think, where some of our passion comes from, where, you know, we certainly want some um, for the government to remain a place that people want to work, right? And and so, you know, with some organizations, I think, you know, they, they have it just because of their their marketing. They're able to, to, to market themselves really well. And then they just have one heck of a reputation. I mean, you know, come on, you know, when you say, hey, I work at NASA, that just sounds cool, right? I mean, it just does. <laughs> and, um, you know, so how, but we like to do that across the board, you know, say, hey, you know, I, I serve in the government. I serve as a part of the Department of Defense or the government, what have you, and I do this great thing, and I get to learn these amazing things, right? And so, you know, how from, a, you know, obviously being the chief learning officer and all that, if you incorporate that type of culture, of course, I think it would help with that. But from your perspective, being in a leadership position, can you give us just some examples of, you know, how, what things you guys have, have worked through or what things you're thinking about in order to retain recruit and retain top talent. Yeah, so it's it's such it's such a great question and really point pointed. I I also want to be NASA. Uh, I think we all want to be NASA. We yep. we but we don't all have the opportunity to to put rockets in space and and people on the moon. So we're going to embrace that we're not going to be NASA. Um, 
but we have, we all have something cool and unique and different that you're not going to find just anywhere. And when I, I had a previous role where I got to work with lots of different agencies across the government, and I got to learn about the different jobs. And I, I just remember thinking like this job, the fact that this job even exists is crazy. There is, for example, there is a job at the USDA. And um, I would, I would say it was part cowboy, part veterinarian, part police officer. <laughs> and where does that exist other than at the USDA, right? This, this job is on the Southern border, making sure that cattle do not cross from Mexico into the US bringing you know, parasites and other diseases to the US. And so they have to ride a horse, they have to be able to rope cattle, they have to carry a firearm because the southern border isn't always safe, and they have to be able to collect samples from the cattle and, and analyze them. What? So, yeah. you know, <laughs> that, that's just a prime example of something you're never going to find outside the government. And, yeah, and it's only care. one of so many. And we, so we, we're not great at marketing ourselves, but, you know, I think of, I think of HUD as well. And, you know, we're creating strong communities in, across the U.S. And we're, we're helping end homelessness. It's, if you focus in on what the mission really is about, who it's focused on, who it's helping, what, what these individuals can play a part in, like what can they actually touch and feel and see, there's no one who says, oh, I don't think that that's a good mission. <laughs> I don't think I want to help with that. They say, where do I sign up? And, um, and unfortunately, you know, as much as I appreciate the Googles of the world, the Apples of the world, the Amazons of the world, being able to say we've got the best, brightest, most cutting edge, and, and that is a, a huge recruitment tool for them. We, we don't have that all the time. <laughs> I think we should, but we don't have that all the time, but we do have a mission that anyone can get behind. We do have a lot of people who are ready, willing, and able to help accomplish that mission with whatever energy they can contribute. And we do have some of the coolest work. And so we have, we have a long way to go there. And what I think we could, you know, I, I know that was a pulpit. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. But, but what I do think that we can do from a recruitment and retention standpoint, um, especially from the learning perspective, is show prospective applicants that they are going to be valued with us. We are gonna focus in on them. We're gonna give them attention. We're gonna give them time. We're gonna invest in them. And they may not stay the whole time anymore like they used to. They may not spend 30 years of their career with a single agency yeah, or even inside right. of government. But it's okay because, because they might bounce back to that boomerang, right? They may go, they may start with us or come to us, go out, come back in, bring that new set of skills they got from private sector and industry into the government. It might go back and forth. That's okay. It doesn't mean we shouldn't continue investing in them. That's and right. And I think that what you're saying is the new our strength. Yeah, it's uh, it's a we have to shift our mindset that that investment is not lost if it doesn't stay. It's even if they go out and they share their story of the good work they got to do here, they create a potential pool of applicants who are interested in coming to the government. Patricia, I what a phenomenal discussion today. And just to link back to what you mentioned about NASA, I mean, 
Some might say that we all are working on a moonshot and the idea of making the U.S. federal government the choice, the best employer in the world, both from an employee experience standpoint, but also how we serve delightful, trusted, compassionate, functional services to the nation. So I'm as we wrap this conversation today and everyone out there listening and soaking in your wisdom, if you had a magic wand and could make one wish come true today, what would it be? That is an impossible question to answer because there are so many wishes that I have. And no, you can't wish for another magic wand. I, I need I need three <laughs> wishes from a genie and a lamp. Um, yeah, yeah that's so for, for the folks listening right now, you can't see her. It's hilarious. She's oh, she's so handsome. I'm so I'm so conflicted. Um, <laughs> you're going to end up getting at least two from me out of this. And I'm going to apologize up front for not answering your question the way you teed it up. So I think a reframing of work in the government period. I think where we have traditionally focused very linearly about a person's career path and it being this, this bottom to top, right? Um, I don't think those are, are legitimate anymore in the, in the current space and, the, and in the future space of work. You know, I, and, and I even think that I've been talking a lot about career lattices at, or careers being like rock climbing. You, you go where you need to, you pick the handhold that's gonna get you to the next place. Um, but I'm starting to even think that that might be a little old school too. And you know, every time the government has had a problem to, to focus on or an issue they needed to fix, we, we bring together diverse sets of thinking from it, many disciplines. We focus them in on the problem. We give them the resources. You know, we call them tiger teams and we say, get it done. And they do. They do every time. And how is that not what we should be doing for everything that an agency has to accomplish? Um, we, we've all agreed that a diverse perspective and inter interdisciplinary um, viewpoint is going to help us. So how do we bring together the best and brightest to each problem we have to solve by looking across the talents of our organization, not just inside one single silo? So I would say that's trying to be one question, but then I have to go into this next thought. I have to, I can't, I can't leave here without saying it because um, I'll beat myself up later. I think what we also have to do is from a learning perspective is embrace that we have not built a technological infrastructure to support digital badges, certifications, and, and, and folks training and development completions, moving with them across government. So we've actually made it harder for someone to really show their accomplishments. And so for me, if I had that other wish that I think I'm gonna talk my genie or my magic wand into, it would be to build that infrastructure and make sure there is a sufficient resource behind it so that when I complete a training or I get a certification or I get that digital badge, I'm able to move from agency to agency with that and not, and not have to sort of carry my records with me. And I'll shut that up. That is a huge dream. No, thank you. Matisha, it was a delight to have you today and opening our eyes 
and our minds to the new ways of working that are possible and how that really sits on new ways of learning. So thank you. It was such a pleasure. Thank you both for having me. That's going to do it for today's episode of Solving for X. What's your big takeaway from today's episode? What new learning can you share with your teams? Before you leave, please follow Solving for X wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, listener reviews have a real impact. Consider leaving feedback so others can find our show. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time on Solving for X.